probably about mid-November. I've got this habit um, that, that, uh, that I do. Uh, I will walk around with lights off and I won't turn lights on and I'll just kind of walk through. So I do it at home. I'll walk around with the lights off and I do it here in, here in, the, in, the, in the church as well. And um, about mid-November, um, we were on our way to bed and Renee was already upstairs um, and I turned off all the lights and I came around the corner in, in our kitchen and nothing should have been there. It should, everything sh- there should have been nothing in my way, but as I'm walking through the kitchen, my little piggy, you know the story, this little piggy went to market. So the one that didn't get any roast beef, he pointed out that there was a uh, step stool in the middle of the kitchen that was, it's all black and I, I could not see it. And I kicked it across the kitchen with that little piggy. And this guy said, ouch. <laughs> and I held on to the wall as I tried to compose myself, and I knew right away, I knew that Piggy is broken, and this is not going to be good. Well, he swelled up nice and big. A couple, you know, he grew a couple sizes overnight and turned a real beautiful shades of black and purple. Um, and uh, and I, I told I told Renee, and, <laughs> and Renee says to me, she goes, "Why don't you just turn the light on?" And I'm like, "The stool wasn't supposed to be there, though." And she goes. But if you turn the light on, you're not going to get hurt. I know. So about three, four days later, I was in the office. Uh, and my office is on this side of the building. And I was walking through towards the kitchen on this side. And instead of going the long way around through the hallway, I just cut through the auditorium. Well, during the week, all the lights are off in here. And you know what? I didn't turn the lights on. Because there should be nothing here in, in, this, in this area. There's nothing ever here. And so I come in this door. All the lights are off. And I'm walking. And that... Just suddenly, I catch this, this shadow of something, and I stop. And I put my hand out in front of me. And wouldn't you know it, there's a six-foot-tall ladder right here in the middle of the space. I'm not going to point out who left the ladder here. But, you know, like sometimes the students play, play games on Wednesday nights, and they use the ladder. But I was like this close to smashing my face on the ladder. And you'd think that I would learn my lesson but wouldn't you know it, this morning I walked into the prayer room, which is just on the other side of this wall, and we have LED lights that we turn on because they're not as harsh as the, uh, as the regular lights, and, uh, but the switch is on this side of the room. And so I came in the back door, and I just walked through the room with the light off, and uh, I didn't run into any walls or nothing. Everything was where it was supposed to be. So everything's where it's supposed to be. You don't hit things, but, but I, I, didn't, I didn't learn. And as Renee said, if you just turn the light on, you're not going to get hurt. Anyway, last week we talked, uh, we started our series for the month of January. We're talking about sexuality. And last week we looked at identity and how it's rooted and anchored in our being created in the image of God, which is found in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26-27. Being created male or female is part of us reflecting the image of God and our gender as men and women comes from our created God-given identity, and our sexuality flows out of that God-given identity. And so today what we're going to talk about, we're going to look at, we're going to look at our inner world. So our inner world, when I refer to the inner world, I'm talking about the, the realm of our minds, our thoughts, our, 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 our hearts, our, our appetites, our desires, our motives. This is the, this is the realm of the inner world. 
And we must master and have self-control in this part of our lives because it's from the inner world that all of our actions and all of our behaviors and all of our words flow. They flow from the inner world. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn, turn to two places. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and uh, Matthew chapter 5. Romans 12 and Matthew 5. All right, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So every person is born into the pattern of this world. Now, the pattern of this world is sinful. This isn't the way that God intended it, and this isn't the way that God created the world. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they took of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said to them, you can eat of any, any tree, just don't eat from that one. And when they, when they took the fruit and they disobeyed God, the pattern of the world in that moment was altered. It was changed. See, original creation was pure, blameless, righteous, just. This is the original pattern of God's created world. But sin corrupted creation, causing evil, causing perversion, causing injustice, unrighteousness to be the new pattern of the world. And so that's the, when Paul is, is talking about, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, that's the pattern of the world that he's talking about. It's this pattern of, of sin, of corruption, of injustice, of evil. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I want you to come in my life, I want to serve you, I want you to be my Lord, my God, then we must be renewed in our minds and our inner world so that we can be transformed and conformed to the pattern of Jesus' kingdom. And this does not come naturally. We have to be diligent in applying our faith and ourselves to the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we can live righteously the way that Jesus has called us to live. So our focus, as I mentioned already this month, is on sexuality. So that's the direction that I'm going to take when I talk about our inner world. But this, the, the application of, of, of the inner world and managing our appetites and our desires and resisting temptation, it applies to every area of your life, right? Like it applies to greed, to pride, to anger, to selfishness, to a lack of love. All those things are rooted, those issues are rooted in our inner world. And if we would allow the Lord to transform us on the inside, then that will, then, then, the, then the transformation flows, flows out of us. So if I, if I struggle, for example, with, with selfishness, then I allow the Lord to transform my inner world, then what will end up coming out? That selfishness is replaced with selflessness, right? And that flows out of me. So what we talk about today, you can take the principles of what we talk about and you can apply it to any area of your life, but we're going to focus in on, on sexuality. So having sexual desires and appetites is not wrong and it's not sinful. These are God-given. He gave those to us. 
Way back in the beginning, as we, we read this verse last week in, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, that humanity was told to be fruitful and multiply. See, great there, that identifies that God gave us those sexual appetites and those sexual desires. And then Adam, when he first saw Eve after Eve was created in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. See, it's a God-given desire that a man would desire a woman and a woman would desire a man and that they would be joined together through sexual intimacy. And as the Bible says, they are made one flesh. The Bible teaches both implicitly and explicitly that only sex between a husband and a wife within marriage is good. Every sexual expression outside of that context, whether it is um, opposite sex relationship or same sex relationship, is outside of God's design and is not called good by Him. And pursuing what is outside of God's design will only end up causing us pain. So if you got your, your, your finger in, in your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read starting at verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who so much looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery within his, with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand uh, makes you stumble and leads you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Again, remove yourself from the source of temptation for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. So we, we, we're reading just a few verses from what, what's, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he took the outward expression of things that are done outside of God's boundaries, which, which is sin, and he brought them into our inner world, into the heart. See, we have to live from the inside to the outside. Just because we keep something that is wrong or outside of God's boundaries on the inside of us, and we do not let that expression come out, does not mean that it is good or that it's acceptable to God. Internal issues are the precursor to external expression. Jesus is teaching here, and he's saying it doesn't matter if it happens on the inside or the outside. It's still wrong. Chris Ballatin writes, and he writes a book, it's called Moral Revolution. And he says, true success lies in your ability to manage your inner life. If your inner life is a disaster, you will not have a successful life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. It's a little bit later in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. That word clear is also translated as single. And it means to be without compromise, to have a singular way of living. That, so that, like he's saying, like, 
You live one way on the inside and one way on the outside. That the inside and the outside, that they match. See, you and I will not be able to live in the light, as Jesus talks about there, if we are allowing darkness like sexual temptation to enter in through our eyes. In the Old Testament, there's a book, it's called Job, and it's written about a man named Job. In chapter 31 and verse 1, Job makes a statement. Now, Job, it says in that book, was a righteous man, and he was without blame, and he had, he had no sin in his life. And he, he writes this. It says, it says this in Job 31 and verse 1. I made a solemn pact with myself to never undress a girl with my eyes. See, it matters what we look at. It matters what we focus on. It matters what I give my attention to. The thoughts that go around in my mind, it matters. We must manage our appetites and our desires. We have to resist temptation. We, we, we must resist sexual temptation or, or other, other temptations. So we are called by God to live holy and morally acceptable lives before him. This is living biblically. We live according to the Bible. I, I say, I've said it often. I know, I know I said it last week, but we, we don't, um, as it were, bend the Bible around our lives. But instead, we bend our lives around the Bible. I was thinking this morning, I don't know that, that when, you, when we read the Bible, like it cuts. It doesn't matter who you are. If you, if you know Jesus and, and wa have walked with him, for any length of time, or you don't know him. When you read the Bible, it cuts across your life, and it will always call us higher. In 2020, so four years ago now, statistics estimated that 91.5% of men and 60.2% of women consume pornography each month. This is a massive problem in our society. And, and for us to think that inside this building, and for the people who, who come to church and who call themselves Christians, to think that we are sheltered from this and that we're not included in those statistics is naive. As a society, we are feeding the inner world with darkness by what we look at, and it is destroying us. Like there, there are many studies, and these, and, and they, you can, there are studies that are uh, are Christian based, and there are studies that are not Christian based, that show and prove the the harmful effects of pornography on the brain of people. It actually literally rewires your brain, and as well on society, it is the driving factor of human trafficking. The average age of first exposure of kids is getting younger and younger and younger. Current research has it between the ages of 10 and 12, with some reporting first exposure to pornography as young as eight years old. See, mainstream media, popular culture, 
music. It exposes us to, to image in images that are, that are highly sensual and sexual. And it opens the door for sexual, lustful temptation to work its way into our lives. And I'm not even now, like, I'm not even talking about what, what the world will call pornography. Just what society says, this is okay for general viewing. But what it does is it entices us, it desensitizes us, and it creates desires and appetites for more and more sensual and sexual content. See, what is, what's streamed? What's viewed in movies? What's normalized in, in just regular comedy shows for adults and for children is many times far outside of the boundaries that God gives us for sexual expression. And you and I, we have to be diligent in guarding what we watch and what our children are watching, what they are exposed to, what we are exposed to while streaming shows, while scrolling through social media and just general surfing the internet. Christopher Yuan, in his book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, this is a, a little ex excerpt, he says this, from Genesis to Revelation, in the entirety of the biblical witness, only two paths align with God's standard for sexual expression. If you're, if you're single, be sexually abstinent while fleeing lustful desires. If you're married, be sexually and emotionally faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex while also fleeing lustful desires. This is what the Bible teaches from beginning to end. Now, now listen. I know that people have taken the word of God and have twisted it and pretzeled it to make it say things that it does not say regarding sexual orientation and gender. I, I know this. But as I said last week, I'm, we're, we're not going to run around and debunk all of the things because when you do, a new thing comes up and a new thing comes up where this is twisted truth, this is twisted scripture, this is a half-truth. What I want us to understand is the truth of the Bible because when you know the Bible and what it says, then when you hear something that is false, you're like, hmm, that, that doesn't sound right. And you can pump the brakes, go back to the word of God and figure out what it says and what God has to say about those things. Not what my emotions have to say. Not what I think sounds good. Because we're all born into the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world is broken and it's sinful. And we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We read earlier in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus saying that we should, you know, like pluck out our eye and cut off our hands. You know, and listen... <laughs> It's extreme, but he's, 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 he is not talking literal, right? This is not one of those places where you take scripture literally, right? But what he's saying is you, that, that you and I, that we must be ruthless when it comes to temptation in our life, to leave no place for it. Don't play around with it. That's what he's saying. Be ruthless with it because it's, it would be better to enter heaven maimed than to lose your life and spend eternity separated from God. We must flee from lustful desires. And this is why we have to manage our appetites, manage our desires. Now, it's important at this point in, in, 
in my message to make sure that we understand something. This is very important. That temptation and sin are not the same things. It is not, it's not wrong, it is not sinful to be tempted by lustful desires. That's not sin. Sin is engaging that. Sin is taking that desire and fantasizing, right, or, or searching something to feed it out of curiosity or watching something. That's sinful. But that temptation is not sinful. We need to normalize talking about our temptations without normalizing the act of sin. See, because struggling with something is not the problem. Having temptation is not the problem because we all struggle and we all have temptations. There's not one person sitting here. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, geez, like I struggle with all kinds of stuff. Man, I, I must be the only one in the room. Every one of us struggles with something. Now, what I struggle with might not be what you struggle with, and your temptation might not be what's, what's tempting to me, but we all have something that we struggle with. And we need to normalize talking about the struggle. We need to normalize talking about the temptation without normalizing the sin. Because if it's not okay to talk about what I'm tempted with and what you're struggling with, then we will struggle in silence and we will walk alone. Because temptation thrives in isolation and struggle overcomes us when it's left in the dark. You're not created to do life alone. You weren't created to, to do the, the Christian life, the, you know, being a follower of Jesus. You weren't created to do that by yourself. We were created for community, for family. That spiritual family so that we can walk together. We can do life together. We can pray together. We can see each other step into freedom, greater and greater levels of freedom. This is discipleship. That's what this is. It's the path to growing up and maturing in the Lord. So if you're tempted and you struggle with the desire to look at pornography, the path to overcoming that is not through silence and isolation. If you struggle with, with same-sex attraction or gender identity, navigating that all by yourself is not God's heart for you. Man, there are too many people that, that, that struggle in silence and they suffer in silence. And they sit and they think, I'm the only one, no one else. It's important that you hear this. Our church is a safe place for you to share what you struggle with and what you are tempted by, no matter what it is. It does not matter what the struggle or the temptation is. This is a safe place to talk about it. You will not be shunned or ostracized for your struggles. You will be loved accepted, prayed for, and discipled in the way of Jesus. I, I think I, and I can speak for Renee. I can rest, I can, I can assure you that if you're going to come and talk to us about something you struggle with, it's not going to freak us out. We have heard things that people have shared with us that would, you know, as they say, would make your toenails curl. It's not going to freak us out. 
We will love you. We will pray with you. We will walk with you. We will see you step into freedom. See, like my story at the very beginning that seemed pointless, if you walk around in the dark long enough, you're going to get hurt. Turning the light on in our spiritual lives is doing life together. It's sharing with somebody. This is what I'm struggling with. I need you to pray with me. Let's, let's walk this out together. That's turning the light on. Turning the light on does not expose you. It exposes the traps of the enemy. That's what turning the light on does. Turning the light on allows you to see the, the, the black footstool that you can't see in the dark. Because if you walk around in the dark long enough, you will get hurt. Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any, any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. This is the foundation right here of managing your sexual appetites and desires. And Paul's addressing what we allow into our lives, what we are feeding the inner world with, what we think about, what we read, what we hear, what we look at, what we watch. If it is carnal and sexualized and sensual and promoting sexual expression or satisfaction outside of God's boundaries, then we are going to struggle mightily in our inner world. And it's opening the door of temptation and welcoming it into our lives with open arms. Come on in. Whatever is pure and wholesome, think continually on these things. That word pure means chaste, modest, pure from carnality. <laughs> that word pure is the opposite of so much of the sensualized content that our highly sexualized society parades in front of us on the daily. And we must be diligent on what we center our minds on and what we plant into our hearts. And so much of that stuff comes in through our eyes, plants in our hearts, takes root in our minds. When you see something, you can't unsee that. Your mind has the incredible capability and capacity to recall images that you have seen for decades and decades and decades. You can't unsee it. Only sex between a husband and a wife within marriage is good. That is all. Every sexual expression outside of this context, God condemns as sinful. It's outside of his boundaries whether it is opposite sex or same sex by nature. And this is inclusive of sexual appetites in whatever way they are satisfied outside of husband and wife's sexual expression in marriage. I know. I said that already. But it's important to repeat because it is so counter to our culture. And we honestly, we don't realize how desensitized we are until we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. 
I have no idea how off base I am until I sit down and I read what God's standards are. It is really impossible to control your behavior long term unless you master your thoughts and subject them to virtues that you have chosen to live by. This is Chris Vallotton in that same book, Moral Revolution. These are the virtues, the moral virtues, that as followers of Jesus, that we are saying yes to. And honestly, we don't get the right to pick and choose. So, do the movies, does the music, the online content, the images we see and what we read match the standards of the Bible? You've got to wrestle through this. You have to wrestle through this with the Holy Spirit. I, I will not stand here before you and say, that's okay to watch. That's not okay to watch. That's okay to watch. I mean, that's Holy Spirit's role in your life. That's not my role. <laughs> I have no interest in taking Holy Spirit's role and place in your life. I will point out what is the moral standard, what is ethical, what is biblical. You, you measure and weigh and filter the content and decide if it's okay to consume. But then I can also say, there's some things that you don't have to pray about. Pornography, just turn it off. Like that you're not asking, Lord, like, is this okay? It's never okay. Ever. Is it okay? It's not okay. I don't often share this. Um, Renee and I have a standard of what, of what we watch, ratings that we will watch. And our standard is PG. That's our standard. Very rarely and occasionally will a movie come out that's rated PG-13 and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm interested in that. And if there is, this is what we do. We go to a website and it's called pluggedin.com, like plug in you know, to an outlet, pluggedin.com. And it goes through and it tells you exactly what's in the movie. It'll actually tell you the whole movie if you want to spoil it. There's spoilers in there and everything, but it'll tell you how many cuss words are in there, right? What's the, what's the violent uh, things that happen in there? What's the spiritual content? What's the moral content? It goes through and it breaks it all down. And so if there's a movie that we want to watch, something that seems like it's good and it's rated PG-13, we go in, we go there, we, we look at it, why is it rated this way? And then we, we make a very educated decision on whether or not we'll watch it. And honestly, more often than not, we won't watch it. Now, that's, that's our standard. That's what we have worked out, what we have wrestled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that that should be yours, but you wrestle with the Holy Spirit. Like I, I said it already, and I will continue to, to say it. You, ha you have to hear from the Lord. You have to decide. Sitting with Jesus, in, in all honesty, you sit with them and be like, Lord, should I be watching this? And then allow him to speak and then just obey. And I know it's easy to think that biblical morals and sexual standards are old-fashioned, they're out of date, and they're no longer relevant to current culture and society. But that thought process actually presumes that there was a time in history when the Bible's teaching neatly matched the culture and what the culture approved of. This has never been the case. Biblical sexual standard of sex between a husband and a wife in marriage being the only good and acceptable one has never been the cultural accepted standard ever. 
it's always been culturally acceptable for people to meet that sexual appetite and desire outside of what God calls good. Whether it's, look, don't touch. That's not okay. Not by the Bible. Or, or whether it's, this, well, as long as they're not hurting anyone. Or what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. To much more extreme situations. The standard of God always calls us morally higher. Always. A man by the name of Sam Albury wrote a book, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? He says this, the teaching of the Bible always ends up critiquing major aspects of, of any culture's view of sex and marriage, even while affirming other aspects. We might look at the Bible's teaching in horror, exclaiming, but it's the 21st century. But that's not all, all that different from someone in the Roman Empire reading Paul's letters, exclaiming, but this is the first century. Though the reasons have varied from age to age and culture to culture, Christian teaching on this issue has never been in vogue, which means trendy. <laughs> Biblical teaching on sexuality and morals is never going to be trendy. Okay, three things I want you to walk away with today, because I, I know we covered a lot and we went a lot of different places, so I'm going to just kind of boil it all down to three things. Number one, we must manage our inner world by controlling our desires and appetites. And this starts with filtering the content that we consume. Number two, struggle and temptation are not the same as sin. And our church is a safe place to talk about your struggles and your temptations. Number three, God's standard for sexual expression is seen in the Bible. If you're single, be sexually abstinent while fleeing lustful desires. If you're married, be sexually and emotionally faithful to your spouse of the opposite sex while also fleeing lustful desires. I just want us to close our eyes for a moment. I've got a couple resources that I want to make available to you, but I want to pause right here before I, I close. Just a couple more minutes. In the book of John, Jesus says to his disciples, I won't be with you always. I'm going away, and it's better for you if I go away. For when I go away, I will send another. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness. My prayer this morning has been from early this morning that the Holy Spirit would come and convict us towards righteousness. See, when you know Jesus and you have a relationship with Him, Holy Spirit comes and convicts us towards righteousness, towards right living, living biblically. If you don't know Jesus, and Holy Spirit comes and He convicts you of, of sin because you, you, you haven't been set free and cleansed by Jesus. So I've been praying for you this morning since early. Praying for a spirit the Holy Spirit to come and convict us. And it would be much more comfortable if I just closed the service right away and we just said amen and went home. And then we wouldn't have to sit and feel the conviction of God. The one, the one thing that you can do 
to step out from underneath that conviction when the Lord is putting his finger on things in our life is what the Bible calls repent. It's to ask Jesus to forgive us for that thing that God is, that he's pointing out. And so as the Lord has put things on your mind and things you'd rather not think about this morning, and you're feeling that conviction between you and him, just repent. Say, Jesus, forgive me. He is faithful and just and forgives us when we ask. It says in 1 John, every time. There's never a time when he will hold back his forgiveness, where he will hold back freedom. He will set you free. Now with everyone's eyes closed, I don't presume to know everyone's spiritual journey with, with Jesus, but if you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, or you're here and you're like, I did one, at one, there was a day, but I don't anymore. But you'd like to make him your God, to have him forgive you all of the wrong that you've ever done in the past and going forward. If you want to have that relationship with him, just slip your hand up and say, yeah, that's what I want. That's me. So I want to, I want to take a moment. I want to pray for you. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you for your courage. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I see that hand. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for the pull on these two people's hearts. They said yes to you, to living their lives your way. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would rush in and you would right now give them assurance of their relationship with God, that they are in the right place with him. Jesus set them free from all the stuff and the junk and the, the things done outside of your boundaries and ground them and root them in you and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple tools that I want to give to you. I want to make available to you some resources that if you struggle with pornography, and listen, this is going to be very discreet. I'm not asking anyone to come forward. I'm not going to give you anything, right? All I want you to do is take your phone out. Just take your phone out. So if you struggle with pornography or you know someone who does, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's, 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 it's a child, right? Or you're a parent and you're looking for um, a, a resource to help you raise your kids in a highly sexualized society, then, then I want you to text this number. Go to the next slide. I want you to text the word resource to 619-464-3077. And what we'll do is we'll send you all of those links. I want everyone to do that. Take your phone out and text that, text that number, that word resource to that phone number. And that's just the church's text number. And it will, will respond back instantly. And we will send you the links for all of those resources. Whether you need all of them or not, 
What I didn't want anybody to think was like, oh, they're going to have some kind of list that I'm on. No, no, no. Just, we just want to give you all of the, all of the resources. And I've looked, at, I've looked at them all. What you're going to get, one of the resources is for men. And it's a, uh, I think it's a 21-day detox from pornography for men. One is a resource for women. That's a detox from pornography for women because this is not just a guy issue, right? And then another one is a resource for couples, to, to walk through whether one or both has struggled with pornography. And you can walk this out in freedom together. And then the third one is the resource for parents. And it's, it's literally called how to raise kids in a, their term is in a pornified world. Okay. And so I want you to have these resources. And then the last thing that I want you to know, because I know that there are some people that are, uh, that are concerned with sending your kids to school and some of the things that happen in, on campuses and, and public education system. And so uh, this coming Saturday, January the 20th, Foothills Church is putting on a free, and it's called Christian Educational Options Conference. Um, and they're going to talk about, and so listen, up front, if you, if you know Foothills, they have a Christian school. This is not a big banner-waving thing for their school, but they're going to talk about homeschooling. They're going to talk about private education. They're going to talk about charter schools. There's breakout sessions and things like that. And so if, if that at all interests you, when you go out the back doors uh, and turn a little bit to the left, there's, uh, there's some flyers on the table with a QR code you can scan to, uh, to, to register, and you can get all, all of that information. I just feel like it's important to, as best as we can, to put tools in your hands, one, to disciple yourself and to disciple your kids in the way that you feel that God is telling you to according to the Word of God. Okay, does it make sense? All right. Thank you. Um, thank you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so faithful. You've met us today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd seal all the things from you so that nothing gets stolen away and it, it, it bears good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.